going to do uh, 1 John uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. <clears throat> Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through through him. In, these dis, ugh, in this love, not that we have loved God, but that we have loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved in God, so loved us. We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and, he loves, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him. And he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, <clears throat> by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love we love because he first loved us if anyone says i love god and hates his brother he's a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love god whom he has not seen and this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Um, you know, what I was thinking while the Kids Sign program was going on, and I mentioned this to somebody before the service started, it struck me this morning at rehearsal, um, and I began to count the kids that were up here on stage. And there were more kids up here on stage than there were votes for me to be pastor seven years ago um, at this church. And so it is needless to say that God is doing something back there in the kids' side ministry. And about a year ago, we laid something before you guys called the God's Money Capital Campaign. And every time at the end of the year, whether it be year in giving, and to remind us that Christmas is not about consumerism and consuming, but rather it is about giving, for it is more blessed to give than to receive. Um, one of the things that we're laying before you is that this year, on December 19th, we're going to be taking up the God's Money um, offering for the capital campaign. So we did this in three phases. The first phase was the lobby out there that you see, the beautifully remodeled lobby. The second phase is going to be all for these little guys and girls and everything back there um, partaking in the remodel. So we would ask you and your family, maybe you're a business owner or somebody that's looking to give towards the end of the year, we would ask that you and your family consider this, pray about this, and lay this before your kids to let them know that Christmas really is all about giving. 
as we go forward and do that. Also, we will be having our Christmas candlelight service. That's going to be happening on Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock. We've got a cry room available, all of that good stuff. That'll be live streamed. But also, I want to lay something before you. After this Advent series is over, we'll be going into a new year. And maybe it's your first time here. Maybe you're not even a Christian. You're sort of just peeking over the fence, wanting to see what this is all about. At the beginning of the year, we're going to do a series entitled New Year, New Family. And this is going to, yeah, this is an old series that we're sort of repackaging. And it's about marriage, parenting, singleness, and the gospel. So what we want to do is we want to start the new year off with new roles in our family and see how God's word pertains to those roles in marriage, in parenting, and all of that stuff. So we got a lot of exciting things coming up. But enough of the announcements, enough of the mushy stuff. Listen, we are in Advent. And maybe you've, you've never done Advent before. You're like, what does that word even mean? Well, last year, or, or I'm sorry, last Sunday, we learned that Advent just simply means the arrival of. That's the definition of the word. So you've maybe heard it on the news, the arrival of the TV, the advent of the TV or technology. And, and we said that in Advent, we do three things during this time of year. We look back to see what God has done. He's made all of these promises. And then we look around to see what God is doing in the time of year when it is the darkest, when it is the coldest, when the leaves are dying and falling off of the tree. The church is bright with lights. It has evergreen everywhere. And we stand in contrast of the culture and we say that the darkness does not overcome the light. Amen? So we look around to see what God is currently doing, but... We also look forward to see what God will do because this is a great spot for an amen. We said this last week that Jesus Christ has come once, but Jesus is coming again. Amen? He's coming again. And so we pause and we celebrate that in this time of year. As the kids taught us and we saw that word hope, that's the candle that we lit last week. And what we do each week is we light another candle signifying that more candles equal more light. And we're building with anticipation to celebrate the night that Jesus was born. But last week we learned about hope. And we said that hope was not a wishful maybe, that it wasn't like this magic word that makes everything better. This was our definition of hope. We said biblical hope. You know what? Let's read this out loud together. Okay, you've had your coffee. Here we go. You ready for this? Let's read this out loud. Biblical hope is the confident expectation that what God has said will happen. That's what hope is. Hope is based on the fact that God has made some promises. And we declared good news. We said hope is not based on the fact that we are holding on to God. No, 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 that's not hope. Because we said if this thing depends on us, this ship is going to sink pretty quickly. Amen? We said that we have hope in the fact that our Heavenly Father is holding on to us. That's good news. And so today the topic is love. And um, my goodness gracious, what a topic. 
So I did what any biblical scholar would do is I typed the word love into Google, okay? And you get 11,410,000,000 results in 0.96 seconds on Google. Then I went into Amazon into books and I typed in love and I got 75,000 results. Then I thought, man, I wonder how many people sing about love. And in the past 20 years, in the Billboard Top 100, 64% of all of those number one songs explicitly mention the word love in them. And so as I stepped back and I looked at all of that data, I think it is very clear for us to say that us as human beings are obsessed with the idea of love. I mean, this is a vast topic. More paintings have been painted. More songs have been composed about this idea of love. And even when it comes to the Bible, love is a pretty big deal. In one translation of the Bible, the word love is mentioned 898 times. Jesus Christ himself mentioned the word love 15 times explicitly. And then in the verses that were read to you, I don't know if you picked up on that theme, but John the Apostle is known as the Apostle of Love. And in 1 John chapter 4 and 5, John mentions the word love 36 times. This is a big deal, and this is a big topic. But there begs a question. If everybody is talking about love, we have to ask this question. What is love? And I know what you're thinking, so let's go ahead and get this out of our system. You're probably thinking about these guys and go ahead and what cue the love? music. Baby, don't hurt me. Okay? Don't hurt me. We know, are we going to do the head nod? Are we all going to do that? Or are we not going to do that? Okay? All right. Okay. I knew that we had to do that to get that out of the system. Okay? Because anytime you ask the question, what is love? Unfortunately, Saturday Night Live has hijacked our conscience. Okay? But that's the question that we have to ask. Listen, if everybody's obsessed with this and everybody's using this word, listen, if everything is love, please listen to this. If everything is love, then nothing is love. Okay? So if it's I love my truck, I love Taco Bell, and I love my spouse, hope to God not in that order, okay? What does this word actually mean? Um, and in the scriptures, we actually see the word love used multiple times. Now, I need to do a little bit of work here. Um, so the English language, sometimes we lose the meaning of words. Um, in the original language that the New Testament was written in, for the two of you that care, was this Greek language. And they had different words for love to denote a certain meaning. So listen, if you've been a Bible student, if you've been in church any amount of time, you know what this is. But this is helpful for review. So when it comes to four Bible words of love, the first one is this. Phileo, which is friendly love. So phileo, um, think of the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phileo says, I like you. It's familial love, if you will. Some of you are like, oh, like like my family? That's interesting. Okay, right? But that's what that word denotes. It means a kindred, I like you sort of aspect. Um, then there is storge, 
which is um, family love. This one's friendly love. And then this is family love. Storge says, I trust you. That's what that means whenever that word is used in the scriptures. It's used of the word of a mother who loves their child or a child that loves their siblings. It is a familial love. I trust you. Then there is the one that it's the most popular in our culture, which is eros, which is a romantic love. That says, I want you. Okay, right? All right? That's when Adam saw Eve for the first time and was kind of like, hey, girl, hey, right? Okay? That's what that is. Interesting. This was the most popular usage of the word love in the Greek culture that the Bible was written in. Now... Um, what's funny is, is that the Bible stands in contrast and specifically doesn't use this word love a majority of the time. It stands in contrast to the culture that uses this selfish sort of love. And when you look at all of these words and all of these phrases, there's a common denominator, and it's I. All the usages of the common way that we use love is from our aspect. And, and I would even branch out and say this. Love, most of the time, when it's defined or communicated, is a feeling or an emotion. Um, the Oxford English Dictionary even defines love as this. Feelings relating to attachment or attraction. Okay? Feelings, that's the common way that we define love as an emotion. But there's a problem with that. Um, maybe, maybe this illustration will help. Just a few weeks ago, the music artist known as Adele dropped her new album entitled 30. And um, good music, man, really good music. I mean, Adele has grown men in their cars singing like, go easy on me. Right? I, mean, I mean, this girl has got some pipes and she can sing, but she writes all of her own lyrics. And, and, and I believe that Adele is definitely sort of a poet of the culture. I mean, she's setting trends and doing these things. But her albums are always about a current relationship that she's going through. And Adele sat down with Oprah to discuss this album because a majority of the album is about Adele's recent divorce. And she said this on Oprah. She said, I still love my husband, but I found out I was no longer in love with him. So I had to set him free. And Oprah said, oh my, what a beautiful message to young girls around the world. And I went right there in my living room. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life, okay? Why can't we just be honest about that kind of stuff? Listen to me, that is a horrible message. Because listen, if love, don't miss this, this is the whole message right here. If love is primary a feeling what do we do when we don't feel loving anymore? Do we just chalk this thing up? It's disposable now? 
Now, if, if love is an emotion and I wake up and I'm having a bad day or a bad consecutive days or consecutive months or I'm in a season in my life where things are difficult and I don't feel loving anymore, according to the culture, you bail on said relationship and you start over to, quote, find love. And, and, and think about this. I mean, Cupid, we've got a baby running around in diapers, shooting people with arrows. Like, oh my goodness, right? How reckless does that sound? But if love is just something that we fall in and out of, please listen to me. That's bad news. That's not good news. That means every relationship that we are in we will constantly find ourselves in a little bit of anxiety and fear and ask ourselves, is this relationship safe? Is this good? And then if you think about the relationship with our Heavenly Father, you see, that's why I think a lot of us, a lot of us know that, that God saved us. We know that's right in our mind because we grew up and, and we went to Awanas and we had the sash that had all the patches and we drank sugar-free Kool-Aid and wafer crackers and we were like, oh yeah, I know that God saved me on the cross and did all of that, but please listen. I think a lot of us know that God saved us, but we don't really believe and think, we think that God doesn't really like us. Like, like I know God saved me, but I think, I think probably, honestly, God's probably pretty disappointed in me. Because we think that love is this fleeting emotion. So if we think that love is that, I think this is a great picture, right? This is deep theological stuff we're in today, guys, okay? Um, this is you. Some of you are like, woohoo, I lost weight. This is great, right? Um, if, if this is what you think love is, it's primarily something, a feeling that starts with you and then gets projected out all into other relationships, I would say that this is bad news. This is not good news. And you know what? The culture tells you this is good news every six seconds. Whether it's Matthew McConaughey trying to sell you a Lincoln or something. I mean, it's all the time constantly about feelings and you being happy and you feeling that way and being free and doing all of that. But underneath that... There is fear and there's anxiety. This isn't good news. Why? Well, the text tells us. The text actually tells us. John says it right there in verse 10. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that He loves us and sent His Son to be the... Big word. Okay, big word, but so is mayonnaise. Okay, we're going to learn some words today, all right? The propitiation for our sins. Interesting. Um, the word propitiation means to put forward or in place of. So, so think, of, um, think of hunger games. I volunteer, right? Or, or, or think of Harry Potter and his mother stepping in the way and absorbing the blow. What propitiation is, is it is a sacrifice that's motivated out of love. But John says, there's a reason why Jesus had to get put forward. That, that why did Jesus die on the cross in our place? 
Well, it was because of sins. Um, you know what's interesting this time of year? I always see like the hallmarky stuff and verses that people hijack. It's the most wonderful time of year. A weary world rejoices. But I never see this next verse anywhere. But I, would, I think it would go great on your coffee mug or a sweatshirt. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Um, anytime this verse is used, that's where they stop. So like on Christmas cards, they don't even put the whole verse. But the rest of the verse is this. Why did she need to bear a son? Why is his name called Jesus? For he will save his people from their sins. Um, listen, everybody in this room is a broken, flawed human being. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, right? But listen, I believe that in that answer, it actually provides us peace for what's going on in the world. Because I would venture to say this, if you're a non-Christian or somebody just sort of questioning all of this, you also have to provide an answer. You can't just critique Christianity's answers. So you don't have the benefit to go, oh, I don't, I don't believe that stuff, or I don't believe this, the Bible, but a bunch of white guys wrote that, or just because you saw a two-minute Joe Rogan clip of a guy living in his mom's basement or something like that, all right? I believe that you have to then provide an answer for the brokenness or the heartache in the world. And what the Bible would say is, is that as things are now, they were not initially created to be that way. You see, if your theology, if your study of God or your understanding of the Bible starts with sin, that's wrong because the Bible doesn't start with sin. Do you know what the Bible starts with? Goodness, particularly God's goodness in creation. So, the sentence that we're looking for is this. The problem is, as human beings, as human beings, we deeply desire perfect love. But, we only demonstrate imperfect love. That's the flaw. Hey, listen, do you know what the problem in your marriage is? This Hey, do you know what the problem is with your parents and your coworkers and all of that stuff? This. It's that you as a human being have what Billy Graham used to say, some of you, right? Some of you. You have a God-shaped hole in your heart. And he would always say that it's only God that can fill that hole. We deeply desire perfect love. But I would take it even further. Here's what everybody in this room desires. Are you ready for this? To be fully known and to be fully loved. But here's what we believe. If you fully know me, there's no way that you can fully love me. I mean, just right now, um, anybody want to volunteer to hook your mind up to the projector and just thumb through some thoughts this past week, right? You see, it's that bent and that brokenness, or what Augustine would say, an early church father, is that the perfect love that was once we were created for is now a vacuum in our heart. And now we put everything in that vacuum. We deeply desire perfect love, but we can literally only demonstrate imperfect love. So 
we need to get back to the four words because I only gave you three. And some of you note takers are like, where's the fourth one? You're about to freak out right now, okay? <laughs> right? Um, the main use of the word love, and especially the one that's used in the verses today, is the word agape. Agape is divine love. All other loves, I like you, I trust you, I want you. Agape love says, you before me. That's biblical love. Biblical love is a self-sacrificing act for the betterment of the other person. That's what biblical love is. And that's what John tells us in these verses. So, go back to the picture. If you think this is what love is, that's bad news. Because you have to drum that up from yourself. You have to provide that. you got to pull yourself up in the bootstraps. And then there's guilt and shame. And you're like, well, I did these wedding vows. Or I'm in this relationship. And I just got, and it's dark. And it's weary. And you're exhausted. Or even in your relationship with God, you're like, man, I've got to do this stuff. I've got to read. I've got to pray. I've got to do all of these things. Because it starts with me first, but agape love doesn't start there. It's divine. Agape love doesn't look like this. It looks like this. You don't achieve that love. You simply receive that love. John tells us the good news is this, not that we have loved God. That's not good news. The good news is that God has loved you. Oh, by the way, God loves you. Not the you you're projecting everyone to see. God loves you. The broken, addicted, gossiping, lying, divorced, or self-righteous and prideful because you've never done those things. You. Here's what's so crazy about agape love is that God fully knows you and fully loves you. Like, think about it. If God's kicking a kickball, or if God is picking a kickball team and everybody's lined up, remember that in elementary school? Some of us still have childhood wounds from that moment, right? If you're getting picked, God looks at you and God chooses you. He sets his love on you. And so there's good news that we find in the passage. And the first thing is this. It's that God is love. It's right there in verse 8. I mean, look at what he says. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son, that so that we might live through him. And then bump up, I'm sorry, verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, I know what some of you Bible thumpers are thinking. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, 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 pastor. That ain't all God is. That ain't all. His main attribute mentioned in the Bible is his holiness. Preacher, right? God, God. Yeah, I get that, okay? You're angry and I don't know why, but I get that, all right? I get that. Um, but John, the disciple that followed Jesus, was the beloved, chose through the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit to describe God this way. So I would ask you a question. If you are so quick 
to correct that statement. Why? Why does it make you anxious to know that the very essence of God, the very core of who he is, is holy, righteous love? Um, you know what's interesting is John did not say God is law. He didn't say that. I mean, he could have, right? I mean, because God's got the, remember when Charlton Heston did the thing and went up on the mountain and got God's top ten, the Ten Commandments, and it was like a whole bunch of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I mean, there are a lot of rules and there is a lot of law. But then when God said, you know what, no more prophets... No more any of this stuff. I'm going to send myself. And then Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, very God from God, very light from light, comes. And on the night that he is to be betrayed, and 24 hours later he's going to be crucified and die on a cross, he says, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. Do you know what the difference is? Um, law says this, if I obey, then God will love me. That's what law says. So it's constant anxiety and fear of like checking the Bible reading plan and I got to have a devotional and I got to do stuff. And then we just had Thanksgiving. And so you got to do like the 31 days of thankfulness. And every day you got to post that thing on Facebook today. I'm thankful for my cat. And you got to do all of this stuff because you got to do stuff. You got to like, I got to be in this game and I got to. Um, and if you were honest and we were having a cup of coffee and, there were, and you didn't fear consequences of your honesty, you're exhausted. You're exhausted not just from a vertical relationship with God, but horizontally as well with those other relationships. But that's not the gospel. You see, love says this. Because of the cross, I know God loves me. Therefore, I'm free to obey. We are not struggling to be free. We are free to struggle, as one author says. And so now it's, um, I don't read my Bible so God will love me more. But you know what? When I read my Bible, I love God more. Or it's not that I have to be involved in community groups and i got to do this stuff and i got to do these things so God will love me. But now I know the love of God shed abroad in my heart through Jesus Christ. So now I want to live in community with other believers and walk this journey together. Listen, the good news is that God is love. That God defines it, not us. But God doesn't just define love. God demonstrates it. You see, God is love, but the second good news is this, is that God loves us first. That God loves us first. That's what John says. But then he says that the love was made manifest. It was visible. It was a demonstration. It wasn't just words. You see, that's what gets difficult in, let's say, marriages sometimes. 
where there has been a breach of trust or one person has been sinned against, the party that has done the sinning thinks that the transgression can get covered by articulating your love. By saying, I love you, I'm so sorry, I won't do that anymore. But the reality is, is that God didn't tell us that anymore. He finally said, I'm just going to come. I'm, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to go down there and show them. Listen, love isn't just defined and articulated. Love is demonstrated in the act of self-sacrifice. That's where love is. So um, a question of going back of law and love. Do you operate that way in your relationships? Do you say to other people, well, I mean, you know, I'm just waiting on a phone call. I mean, I'd love to live life with people and I would love to do this, but I'm just waiting on a phone call, right? If they do this, then I will meet them there with this. That's law. That's not love. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God is love. God loves us first. Which then, an application question for us is very simply this. In what relationship or who do you need to make the first move towards? God always makes the first move. As C.S. Lewis says, the hound of heaven chases us down when we're unaware. So if God shows us that love this way, that is the way that we show the love in other relationships. Because John would go on to say this later on in the verses. If you say that you love God, but you don't make the first move towards other people, you're a liar. That'd be a great Christmas sweater, wouldn't it? You're a liar, the Apostle John, right? That's what he's saying because, don't miss this, the love that you have for God above you is measured and demonstrated by the love that you have for the person sitting beside you. You don't get to cop out in an ethereal concept sort of way. So how do we do this? How do we receive this love? Well, there's one message always in the Bible. From the prophets to Jesus, you could summarize it And in our culture, it tends to be a dirty word. But it's the word repentance. That's what it is. And what is repentance? Repentance is laying down our lesser loves in order to experience the greater love of God. You see, oftentimes our sins are not wrong desires. A good definition of sin is sin is legitimate desires fulfilled in an illegitimate way. God gave you those desires for belonging, acceptance, and significance. But when we try to fulfill that in other ways, therein becomes idolatry and sin. And what repentance says is now through the word of God and the spirit of God, I see how beautiful God's love is and I lay down these lesser idols, whether it be money or relationships or sexual desires, whatever it is, we lay that down at God's feet and we say, give me your greater love, which is this. The big idea of Advent can really be summed up like this. 
Advent assures us that we don't achieve God's love. We simply receive it. So in closing, as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, one author has said that books don't change people's lives. Sentences do. And I believe that. I believe that a certain sentence at a certain season in your life can totally change the direction of your life. Proverbs would say, it's a good word in season. I'll never forget being in St. Louis, Missouri, waiting for youth to start when I was a youth pastor. Somebody had given me a book by a prominent author. I was reading through the book, and I got about halfway through, and I ran across a sentence. And the sentence has forever changed my life. Pastor Timothy Keller says this, The gospel is this, We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. You see, the reality is, is that sin is so consuming that we're blind even to our own sinfulness, that you are more broken than you can even admit. But, but, that's not the whole story. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope or imagine. And so right now, I would just lay before you, what lesser loves have you been consuming yourself with trying to fulfill the greater love of God? And I would challenge you today, would you, through the power of the Spirit, just lay that down? Why have you been so defensive in relationships? Why are you constantly overworking? Why can't you sleep at night? Why is the obsession of money at is what it is? I would just ask that you would ponder those questions and then consider for a moment the infinite, all-consuming love of God. And then just compare them and have a moment of laughter and leave the lesser loves there and pick up the unconditional love of God. Heavenly Father, we come before you today so grateful for your good news. God, that in this Advent season, that Advent assures us that we do not have to achieve your love. This changes our identity that no longer is it high, my name's Jason and, and I'm a pastor or I'm a husband or I'm fill in the blank for my identity. But who we are first and foremost is beloved by the creator of the universe. And then through repentance, God, today there are some of us in this room, our hands are gripped so tightly around the money, around the relationships, around the job, around the identity, even around good things. And we are so afraid to let them go because that's what has defined us. But God, I pray that you would break our hearts and let us know that will never fulfill us, ever. But you are there with wide open arms, with the greater love. Holy Spirit, I pray that you comfort those who need comforting today. We share good news in this place for weary, burdened, sick souls. 
comfort those who need comforting. God, I pray that you convict those who need convicting and that you compel us all towards our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand?